everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. If we all do the same thing, then the advantage goes away. Instead, we need to think about data and creative AI as a recipe. You can give Michelin-starred chefs the same recipe and they all make something different, even though the recipe components might be the same. And I think that that's how we have to think about creative. How does our brand interpret these recipes? How do we make it distinctly ours? And so our brand message shines through while also honoring those creative elements that the algorithm cares about. Think about the last ad you saw that had an image of someone's living room. What color was the throw pillow on the couch? Was there a dog present? How many people were pictured? You might not know the answer to those questions, but the marketers who put that creative together sure do. And you better believe that they thought long and hard about each of those aspects and dove deep into some of the data to decide exactly what to include in that ad. Those minuscule details may seem frivolous to the naked eye, but the data proves that every decision you make in your creative process has an impact on the bottom line. And the e-commerce businesses that pay attention to that data while still remaining creative are the ones that are rising to the top. RJ Talier is the founder and CEO of Pattern89, which uses AI and machine learning to analyze advertising and guide marketers toward the performance metrics that matter. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, RJ takes us through the most recent trends report that Pattern89 put out, which includes some important information about why businesses should be paying particular attention to copy and hashtags. Plus, RJ gives tips on how to avoid the trap of following best practices and why creativity will always win. Enjoy this episode. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Hey listeners, it's Stephanie. Before we dive into this episode, I was hoping you could please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps spread the word about the show and I would really love it. So please let me know how I'm doing and give me a rating, give me a review. Let us know. All right, enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles. Joining us today is RJ Talier, the CEO and founder at Pattern89. RJ, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I just downloaded your report, as you saw, right before the (laughs) interview. And I feel like there's some good, juicy stuff in the things that you guys are doing. And we'll have a lot to talk about today. Yeah, yeah. Great. So tell me a bit, what uh, what is Pattern 89 and how did you go about creating that? So Pattern 89, it, we, what we do is we predict creative performance with machine learning and AI. And I've worked in digital for uh, almost 20 years now. I worked at Exact Target and then at Salesforce and then at another social startup and learned quickly that marketers are spending so much time creating journeys and figuring out who their audience is, but still use a lot of their gut 
on what creative to put in front of those audiences or in, in the places in the journey. So while data is being used to figure out what and who, it really is on the creative side, it's still kind of a gut decision. And so um, set out about four years ago to help marketers use AI and machine learning to predict creative performance. And now we're 25 person strong um, scale up and uh, serving customers all over the globe. That's awesome. So I was reading a bit about your data co-op and how many brands you have that you get to look through all the data. So give me a little <laughs> bit of like the behind the scenes of like what kind of brands do you have in there? If you can share how many do you actually have and how do you go about looking at all of their data? Yeah, well, you know, when, when we started the business, we knew we needed a giant data set in order for the machines to find patterns and outliers that would actually help creatives. And so we started um, offering a free scorecard or creative assessment in exchange for joining the, the co-op. And uh, we're almost at 2,000 brands who wow. have connected their, their accounts to Pattern89. And um, our machines, you know, they, they don't actually look at um, anything that's identifiable. Instead, they're looking at 49,000 different creative dimensions of a piece of creative mm -hmm. and tying it to a performance metric. So as an example, it might look at a, a picture of a, a living room and say, all right, there's a, a couch, um, plants, window. Is there a human or not? What color is the couch? Is there a blanket on the couch? Is there a dog in the picture? And then associate that with a performance metric, like did it drive X purchases or Y video views or X views? So then we can understand and aggregate what are the patterns and outliers that we're seeing across massive amounts of data so that we know like living rooms actually perform better when there's an orange throw pillow uh, you know, on the couch, for example, mm -hmm. like the one small detail. Yeah. Massive amounts of brands, massive amounts of data, and really granular creative insights. Very cool. So how do you go about, if you're looking at that, you know, kind of anonymized data and you see something doing well, how do you know it's doing well? Maybe because it's, you know, a Nordstrom where it's like, well, of course they have brand recognition, like people are, it's very easy to buy from them versus a brand new D2C company, you know, mm -hmm. where maybe one of their ads is doing well or it's not doing well. And, you know, it's kind of getting skewed because they don't have that brand recognition. Yeah, you know that 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 is a a big uh, a big question. So the 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 first thing to know is that um, our data science team uses a set of statistical tests to kind of ferret out what is actually driving the performance or not driving the performance, so that we're not chasing after kind of red herrings. Mm -hmm. The other thing is from an audience perspective. Um, the history of that audience use. So is it a brand new audience or is it a legacy audience? Is it a customer loyalty audience or something else like that? Those are all the components that are um, also taken into account so that we can distinguish between maybe the, the brand legacy of a Nordstrom versus a, an up and coming D2C startup and still provide statistical significance at over 95% confidence. Got it. So what things do you think are going to work in 2021? I mean, I was just going through the report that I mentioned earlier. And I mean, it was cool because it was all the way down to here's, you know, certain emojis and colors and, you know, mm -hmm. imagery's up, but maybe with, I think, multiple people or one person and videos down. So tell me a little bit about what you guys are seeing and predicting to work well when it comes to advertising and copy in 2021. Yeah, well, the, the first thing that um, it, it's important to note is the creative life cycle has shrunk. And you know, the, the, from a creative life cycle perspective, it's just a lot shorter than it's ever been. In addition to the creative life cycle shortening, what is performant in those creatives is um, changing as well. So the best advertisers um, have a two to one image to video ratio. So um, while video performs um, a lot better in general, image to video um, two to one for is the best performer for top performers in the data set. 
And um, we're seeing more and more emphasis on video and video performance, but videos tend to be more expensive. So mm-hmm. it, two to one is a good, um, is a good framework. Okay. And then taking a look at like what's trending um, on what's forecasted to be uh, um, performant in 2021, we see things like TVs and electronics really um, improving cost per clicks. Also spas and massages, those types of things. And then um, maybe not surprising, we're seeing a lot of isolated people. So one face in um, creatives and those people are reading or studying or doing something um, by themselves, you know, which kind of reflects the world that we're living in, Mm -hmm. um, especially as we head into 2021. And one of the surprising things, and sorry for all the cat lovers out there, is that pets typically do very well, dogs and cats, but we're actually seeing cats driving performance um, down. So it's, it's more expensive to advertise with cats in 2021. So um, just keep that in mind as you're, <laughs> you're Don't put a cat your in your ad. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. But consistent performers, um, things like um, images or videos of those people exercising, phones, um, images of cities, uh, those types of things are, are really staying flat. So this is all going to change by audience and by brand. But in aggregate, those are the things that we're seeing rise staying steady and then um, underperforming in terms of um, predictions. The other thing that we we analyze is color and the importance of color driving performance in 2021. And so um, December, we're really seeing kind of teal colors and blues um, perform best. But what's trending up in 2021 is kind of this peachy color. And I can give you the exact hex code for the designers out there. But peach and dark green are really trending up. And they've been trending up over the last three years. Mm -hmm. While um, kind of a pinky and a brown color are are really trending down for the last three years and will continue to trend down. So it's kind of funny as we think about what background colors or what shirt colors our model should be wearing or how we should stage a photo shoot or even what stock photo or image or video to pull, these types of decisions can impact your CPMs, your CPCs, your click-through rates, and ultimately your performance. So it's good to have uh, the data on your side. Yeah, that's great. And the one thing a lot of guests have mentioned is that more organic videos, iPhone videos, even iPhone photos have been performing better for them than, you know, I mean, because a lot of them couldn't stage things anymore in their studios or couldn't, didn't really want to use the, you know, stock photos. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, and yes, and especially selfies um, really driving performance up. So when when influencers take a selfie video, which might have seen sort of not not as been as polished as in the past, but selfie videos in the data is actually spiking in performance as well as popularity. So yes, is is the answer to that. Cool. Any other trends in that report that stood out to you that were maybe a bit surprising, and you're like, why is that happening, or why are we, you know, why is the data showing that where you had to dig in a bit deeper? One of the other things that's really surprising from a, like when you deep dive into the report is copy and the impact of copy alongside your creative. So oftentimes we spend a lot of time developing what the creative would be and then maybe we just go with a standard message. But the impact of performance when you have copy that's like five to 15 characters long, that's what's going to drive the best performance for awareness or top of top of funnel campaigns, whereas body copy needs to have between like 40 and 60 characters and should include a hashtag. So what's a little bit surprising about hashtags specifically is that including a hashtag overall um, improves your performance, but it's going to be a little bit more expensive. And then even further, if you put a hashtag as a text overlay on an image or on a video, you're going to see the cost go up even more. So it's funny how best practices intersect with performance in good and bad ways. And what we're kind of distilling down is how the algorithms at the individual platforms prioritize or deprioritize content based on 
supply and demand, like what's popular and what's actually performing. And if you think about it from the mm -hmm. platform perspective, they want creative diversity. They want you to be uh, producing something that creates more thumb scrolling and more content engagement. And so they're looking at what, how much of X do we have? How much of Y do we have? And then prioritizing content that favors newness and differentiation and engagement. So anyway, some of these things are like, you need to put a hashtag in there because that's actually going to drive your performance up, but it might also drive your cost up. So you got to kind of weigh the, yeah. the pros and the cons at each creative dimension. Cool. So I'm thinking about all this, you know, data and feedback that you're giving to customers and how do you make sure that they don't all start doing the same thing where it's becoming like a self-fulfilling prophecy? Because I know a couple of guests prior who've been on the show previously have mentioned like, don't go into Facebook ad library and try and get inspiration from there. Like go to the books from the 1960s and check out what was happening yeah. back then. Like, don't just look at what your competitors are doing because the second mm -hmm. you start just doing what they're doing, you lose. So like, how do you mm -hmm. make sure that your clients aren't just all, you know, doing the same thing, driving the same trends, driving the rates up or down because they, you know, are all hearing like, oh, the color green is like the way to go. Yeah. Well, I, I love what you're saying there because I have really railed against quote best practices as a way of doing marketing. And um, so much is changing that I think a lot of marketers go to quote best practices and then look at mm -hmm. a creative forecast from pattern 89 or some sort of other data source and say, all right, that's what we should do. The problem is exactly what you're saying, which is that if we all do the same thing, then the advantage goes away. Instead, we need to think about data and creative AI as um, a recipe. And mm -hmm. every chef gets the same, like, if, you know, I love watching food TV, <laughs> um, yeah. like Food Network and all that stuff. And um, you can give, you know, Michelin starred chefs the same recipe and they all make something different, mm -hmm. um, even though the recipe components might be the same. And I think that that's how we have to think about creative. How does our brand interpret these recipes? How, is it, how do we make it distinctly ours? And so our brand message shines through while also honoring those creative elements that the algorithm cares about. Like um, a good example is we know that 40 to 60 body copy characters. So we should have a, you know, 40 to 60 body or characters in our body copy and a hashtag. So mm -hmm. don't go copy paste some body copy from a competitor and just change the brand name. Instead, what's the unique message that you want to tell in that? And then what hashtag can you use that actually spells out your brand message? Or if we know that um, images of people studying or reading books are important, what is the way that we can tell that brand story in a funny way, an engaging way, in a serious way, um, you know, however it reflects your brand? There's a, I've used this slide in a presentation where I actually have five different um, brands, Instagram posts, where they're all advertising um, athleisure wear, and they mm -hmm. literally all look the same. It's all like a, a woman um, who looks, you know, fit, who is exercising in her sort of ethereal looking um, inside apartment. It's like literally the same yep. creative and you can't distinguish between those ads. And I think that's where we're, we're seeing kind of the quote optimization to best practices cause problems. Instead, mm -hmm. we need to figure out how do we take this creative recipe and put our humanness or human creativity to tell that story in a new way. Yep. You know, best, be aware of best practices is the summary there. And instead, use it as a recipe and create from there. Cool. So are you kind of guiding your clients when you're like, okay, we see, you know, these emojis are trending, these colors are trending, here's like the copy limits that are trending, but here's maybe how to apply this to your brand or like these photos are trending, like you said, but here's a funny spin that you can put up, put on it individually, or you're kind of giving like one to one advice and instead of just like everyone try this out and figure it out for yourself. Like, how do you go about guiding <laughs> your clients? 
You know, um, so uh, Pattern 89 is a platform, so we serve as a data service effectively. And when we get on a call with a customer or a creative agency, we'll often say, here's what's trending up and here's, what's, um, here's, that, here's how your data matches or doesn't match that trend. And then also, here's the counter trend mm-hmm. to it. And, um, you know, some customers are like, no, we just want to kind of play it safe and we'll go with the trend. Others say, hey, what's the counter trend? What's the outlier? You know, uh, what, what is the opportunity there? And it just depends on if the brand is kind of a, likes to play it safe and predictably, predictably or they're willing to take some creative risks. Um, and it just, it actually depends on their level of risk tolerance there because some people just want the sure thing. Mm-hmm. And we can follow the trend um, or the best practice, but then others say, hey, we're willing to take a risk. Our brand is about risk taking or about X. So it depends um, based on, on that. And then sometimes we work through um, creative agencies and um, digital agencies and coach them to say, hey, you know, here's the risk of going with a trend versus here's the counter trend or here's how your data intersects or conflicts with that. Yep. Very cool. And so what kind of variables do your models look at to see, I mean, not only, you know, the cost behind things or maybe what's doing well, but like, how do you know something's doing well? Is it engagement? Is it people clicking Mm -hmm. through on an ad? Like what is success for you guys when figuring out what a trend is based on, I mean, one good example is someone was talking about influencers on the show Mm -hmm. and they said, you know, someone can get like a billion likes on their post, but that doesn't mean they're an influencer. You need to look in the comments and see are people in there asking like, Hey, where can I buy that shirt from? And actually you know, consumers who are ready to convert and do what that person's saying. So like what things are indicators to you that, you know, an ad's doing well and actually will create a conversion or a new customer? Yeah, every prediction in Pattern 89 or in the, in the, the platform has two factors. One is who's the audience? And then two, what's the objective? You know, the audience can be net new customers. It can be loyal customers. It can be previous purchasers, whatever the audience makeup is. And then the objective is what the machine understands. Are we trying to drive the lowest CPM? Are we trying to drive app downloads? Are we trying to drive purchases? Are we trying to drive likes and follows? Whatever that overall objective is. So the machine knows this is the audience, this is objective, and then this is the candidate set of creatives that we want to drive for one of those objectives for that audience. So um, if the objective is purchase, then we can tell you exactly what's going to drive purchase. We, we can't predict um, sentiment of comments, as you're suggesting with influencers. That's just a limitation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but a good point to note that like what the AI can do and can't do <laughs> yep. so that you can set the, the engagement up for success. Is there any new advancements in tech that you're looking at to kind of gauge that sentiment or anything else where you're like, we aren't there yet, but we're looking at this because we think it's an important field you know, mm. going forward. I mean, yeah. we just had yesterday the VP of data science at Stitch Fix on, and she was kind of mentioning just that of like, there's a new demographic coming on the market. They speak very differently. Mm-hmm. And so they, they need different types of, you know, natural language processing to figure out who this person is to then be able to respond to them uh, how they want to be responded to. So is there anything like that that you're watching right now or looking into? Well, well, just on that comment, I need some natural language processing to handle my <laughs> 12 and 13 year old nieces who I, I'm like, I don't, <laughs> We text with them. I don't. I don't know really what they're saying. And I thought I was cool, but um, so oh, I'm yeah, interested my, in that too. Yeah, I feel that my mom sends me screenshots uh, that her students, because they're all doing Zoom calls right now, and she's a teacher, and she's like, yeah. these kids just talking like one, you know, they're like N N V M. What's that mean? And then there's a U, and then there's an you know a two, and this and that. And she's like, I don't know. And apparently, they gave her the acronym for pony hair don't care, but they just put P 
DC or something. And she's like, what's that mean? I'm like, I honestly don't know. I don't think that means anything. And she's like, I found it out. They were making fun of my ponytail. I'm like, savage. savage. I, I imagine Urban Dictionary is getting a lot of site traffic from people like me yeah. these days. You know? Yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll tell you, I, um, the, um, we, we've heard a lot of um, customers ask for sentiment, um, like you're describing. The other thing that's of particular interest is the multi-touch journey. I can, uh, with pattern 89, we can predict what's, what people are going to do like a one hop, right? So I can tell you if they're going to download the app, but I can't tell you if they're going to use it. Mm -hmm. Um, or I can tell you that they're going to put something in their cart, but maybe not purchase it. And so what marketers really want to understand is how do we actually predict creative against each of the steps of the marketing journey that they're setting up for the customer versus like a point in time. You know, and like, mm-hmm. that's, that's what we are really locked in on is how do we predict creative performance across that life cycle versus just like they did one action on a social site or one action on, um, as a result of seeing your ad on Google or something, you know, yep. so it's a, it's a multi-touch attribution issue. Got it. So where do you see the future of attribution going? So right now, I mean, I'm interested in it because I was just listening to a bunch of podcasts about attribution with. TV and, you know, other types of media and how it's, you know, very slow to evolve, but it's something that people are going to be very eager to figure out over the next couple of years about how to like measure things. Is there anything that you guys are looking into in that area or, you know, just keeping tabs on? Well, you know, I'm, I'm keeping tabs on kind of the, the there, there seem to be two counter trends going. One is that um, everyone's going to um, new payment options and mm-hmm. new conversion options on their phone. And there just seems to be more and more like mobile payment, fractional payments, uh, mobile wallet, afterpay, all that type of stuff that I think is going to um, create even more data that we can understand the ultimate conversion, you know, especially in retail. The counter trend is a cookie-less future and a highly oh, yeah. private world and GDPR, et cetera. So I'm, I, those seem to be counter trends um, to me where we could Mm -hmm. get to a fully anonymized world where you just have no idea what happens or who to, to, to whom I guess. And then the opposite is we can know everything. So I don't know that I have an official prediction, but I'm certainly interested in those paths diverging um, and where, where we end up. Um, Yeah. I think that that's going to be super interesting as it accounts for attribution. Yep. Yeah. I'm definitely paying attention to the cookie list future and, uh, I mean, I think Facebook's fighting pretty hard against that. So it seems like it might be a long process if it were to even go through because a lot of people mm-hmm. are against it. So I don't know. that seems like a scary place, yeah. though, if you really can't show what you're doing. It, it is. But, you know, it, like I, I think, um, you know, I have a, a creative background. Um, I majored in English. I have a master's in creative writing. And I came into technology kind of thinking creative is the actual differentiation. But so many liberal arts people, so many marketers have been told to act like machines mm-hmm. and just make only data back decisions. Um, and of course, that, that makes a lot of sense. But I think we've kind of over-indexed onto the data side and kind of left creativity out to dry as kind of like those are the crazy creative people over there or something. And I think yeah. that like the, you know, cookie future and all this, because ultimately we're going to lose some of the sight of the data that we were able to pull before and instead creative is going to win. And so like, I believe mm-hmm. that personally, I believe that as the CEO of Pattern 89, like creative is going to really matter as we head into the next five or 10 years, because the, you know, we, we don't want to look the, to the earlier question about isn't AI or machine learning just optimizing to the same exact thing? Well, yes, is the answer. So how do you 
diverge from that? Well, you introduce new creative ideas, you differentiate your brand, you tell a different story. And um, that's, I think that's super exciting. So I think we're like in this reemergence of creativity that I nerd out on and I'm optimistic about. Yep. Yeah, I'm optimistic. I'm just wondering, how would you know it wins? Like, how do you know it does well if you that's, can't even <laughs> tell what happened? <laughs> that's, that's I'll tell true. you something else wins <laughs> if you can't track it. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) So as a creative, how do you go about sparking creativity? Like what, what does your process look like to maybe not only help, you know, yourself at your company, but also the brands you work with to try and also get them to think creatively? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess ironically it does start with data. (laughs) Like, you know, we look at (laughs) uh, trend trends on a monthly basis and we forecast our uh, monthly trends to understand what is it that's trending up, trending down, and then move that into how do we, I mean, in, in, in startup land, we're always trying to figure out what is the counter trend? How do we stick out? Because we don't want to say the same things that big, big companies are saying. We want to say something different and something risky. Um, and so that's what we kind of analyze the trends and then go against them to figure out how can we um, uh, stand out. I'm a big proponent of uh, running and swimming. I, I grew up swimming. I swam in college and I still swim. And Running and swimming, I think, that provide that kind of meditative or that like space to kind of let your brain sort of turn off but still be on, you know, and then like mm-hmm. come back from a run or a swim or then after you've looked at some of that data and then new ideas start to emerge and start pitching them and then uh, figure out if, uh, you know, those those ideas might might work or not. Yep. Do you ever look through historical things since what's old is always new again eventually? Do you go back, you know, to the archives and be like, here's something that worked in the 20s. Oh, <laughs> Let's yeah. Try this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we're, we're actually um, uh, doing some 20s-based stuff uh, uh, for um, 2021 and the kind of roaring 20s is coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, we just did a, a cool campaign called dondraper.com, but D-R, uh, it was D-O-N-D-R-A-I-P-E-R. So like putting the A-I into Don Draper. Yep. And um, looking at all these 50s campaigns um, and 60s campaigns to understand what actually would be predicted to win now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is kind of amazing to see like copy as well as imagery um, that was being used at the time and um, how and color and how those were resonating, you know, using REI to predict whether they would resonate with this audience um, yep. in today. So, yeah, I think that, that uh, that's a definitely a good place for, for inspiration. That's cool. So do you see some of those more vintage ads and photos and things like that working over the next couple of years? Well, I, I, I don't know about the next couple of years, to be honest. I think in 2021 alone, we're going to see a lot of nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is going to be a big factor because we're all looking for comfort, you know, in after 2020. So I can tell you on 2021, yes, nostalgia, I think is going to be a big, big trend. 2021 will be nostalgia for 2019. Ah, oh, the good days. <laughs> <laughs> what what happened in 2019? Let's bring back those vintage memories. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so are there any new consumer shopping behaviors that you guys are watching right now that um, you think are going to continue post COVID? Um, well, I, I think um, touchless everything, even in store um, is, is a big one. And, and the one I mentioned earlier about mobile wallet, um, I think mobile wallet adoption is just going to spike. Mm-hmm. And then I think all sorts of augmented reality capabilities are also going to because going to a showroom, for example, to see a to see a couch may or may not be something that an individual is willing to do anymore, you know, to, to, to make that separate trip. So I want to see it in my space. Um, I don't want to buy it without seeing it and then return it, have it a you know, hassle with the return, especially with a large purchase item for a home. 
So I think that um, mobile wallet is going to explode. It already has. But coming from mobile land in my previous roles, like it's, it's amazing to see how that is just <laughs> how um, that's, that's taken off. And then um, I think augmented reality apps, uh, it, it, they're just going to be driving the future of commerce. Cool. All right. Well, let's move over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask you a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, RJ? I'm ready. (laughs) All right. We'll start with a hard one first. What one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in next year? Creativity is going to be my answer because um, actually our data shows it. Like, for example, masks in, in ads, like this is, a, this is an interesting thing. So masks in ads are being more popular, but they don't perform as well mm-hmm. because people don't want to see kind of the ugly truth when they're viewing creative. Yep. So um, how do we creatively manage and creatively work through a situation that everyone is tired of feeling? Yep. And so I think the brand, the breakout brands and um, the commerce brands that find a way to tell a, an empathetic, but... Uh, empathetic, but, uh, in, you know, inspiring story that creatively are going to win. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's, that's a good point too, of just because it's happening doesn't mean people want to see it everywhere right. they look yeah. like sometimes yeah. people might want to see what the future could look like and yes. inspiration. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. What's up next on your Netflix queue? Ooh. Um, I'm, you know, a Mandalorian. I, I'll, it's not my Netflix queue; it's my Disney queue. I'm just like, like, <laughs> like eagerly awaiting each episode of Mandalorian, which is interesting because I'm not a big Star Wars fan, but I love that show. It's <laughs> it's imaginative, it's creative, it's yep. like kind of melancholy. It's, okay, uh, I actually I don't know it. that one. I need to Ooh. check it out. I'm not. And I I'd recommend it, and I, I I'm excited about that show. <laughs> what age group is it for? Well, I mean, they <laughs> they say that like like Star Wars fans love it. Um, okay, and, and I then, like Star but, Wars, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but like my uh, uh, <laughs> my eight year old's buddy Charlie was like, "Man, that's my favorite show." <laughs> so okay. it also not only forty year old men but eight year olds like it. So it's, um, a, it's a family favorite. <laughs> yeah, good. So they did well creating a show for all or movie for all. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Good. What topic or trend do you not understand today that you wish you did? TikTok. Yep. I don't I've gotten that answer a lot. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand it. I, uh, yeah, it, it feels very voyeuristic. I'm all for fun, but it, 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 <laughs> for whatever reason, it just doesn't like, um, I don't understand why you would spend hours rehearsing a dance, for example, and then yeah. like take a video of yourself doing a sort of ridiculous dance. I, you know, I, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like your kid is probably listening and it's like, Dad, anyone who says I'm all for fun isn't about fun. <laughs> if you have to start a sentence that way, you might not be all for fun. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, but I have had a lot of people say they don't understand TikTok. So yeah, I yeah. hear you with that. But that would be a good, the age group. Yeah, that would be an interesting, you know, data set to pull in data and see what's engaging from there. Because I have also had a lot of people say it converts really well and that there's a lot of well, arbitrage on that op- or that um, platform. Yes. Yeah. We, we've got customers who use our data on Snapchat, um, mm-hmm. but we've not um, moved into TikTok just yet. But um, it is interesting to, uh, to see what trends might apply there. I, th- I think that, you know, like the, the personal, like personally, why, why you do that? I, I don't like, I feel like that's a, like a PhD or something that I could do is like understand <laughs> motivation there or something. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, you let you let me know how that research goes, and we'll bring you back for your cool. your, your PhD on TikTok. <laughs> what is a favorite book on business or creativity, or just one that you you know refer back to quite often? 
Mm. You know, my, my favorite author is, is a British author named Julian Barnes, who I, I, I love. And I, have, I often try to not read a bunch of business books. I, I, I mean, I, I find like some of them to be really good, but I like to look outside for inspiration. So um, I'm a big fan of Julian Barnes. His books are really creative and strange and weird. And uh, he's, he's a well-known British author, but maybe not known as well in the U.S. And then on the maybe nonfiction side, I, I, I read that book, Evicted, which is, again, not a business book, but just in regards to kind of some of the social issues we're after, I find that that was a uh, Matthew Desmond's book. It's really, really uh, good as well. So, the, uh, But I look kind of to those for inspiration um, or to kind of take my brain outside of business. Cool. All right. And then the last one, what's up next in your travel destinations when we can travel again? Where are you and your family headed? Or just you, if you're like peace family. <laughs> I don't know that my wife would be okay with that. But, you know, we, we, we actually had the good fortune. We went out to Idaho for about five weeks this summer mm-hmm. and rented an Airbnb and loved it. And we want to go Where'd back. Where'd you go? Because I was just looking at Coeur d'Alene, which I think is in Ooh. Idaho. Yes, And yes, it looks yes, really yeah. pretty. So oh, it, we, we were in Driggs, Idaho, which is okay. about an, um, it's on the west side of the Tetons, about an hour from Yellowstone. And mm-hmm. it is beautiful. I mean, it was wonderful. And I, I um, we're going to go back. So, um, you know, we, we had all sorts of international uh, travel ideas that my wife and I wanted to do with our kids. But I mean, we just had such a nice time out there that I uh, want to head back um, uh, this summer and spend some time out there exploring the mountains. Oh, that's great. I will have to check that out too. Idaho is such an undervalued area. No one talks about it. But when I started looking at the pictures, I'm like, this place is pretty. Come on, it people. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, it really is. All right, RJ. Well, it was a pleasure having you on. Where can people find out more about you and Pattern 89? Sure. Yeah. Um, just pattern89.com or um, I'm on Twitter um, at RJ Tallier and um, would love to hear from you or uh, come on to pattern89.com and um, check us out. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.